0: Hi, son. It's Friday, and this is the Friday Show. Uh, before we get into the main show, though, a little bit of housekeeping. Do you listen to the Friday Shows regularly, but not the 9320 player content? Well, we reckon you should sign up for the 9320 player, because frankly, if you like the Friday Show, then you're going to love the rest of what we do. So if you haven't signed up, go over to our website, 9320.com, and sign up. It's just £4 a month, and you get Hours and hours of podcasts every week related to City and also related to all things football. Right, that's my advert done. Morning, boys. I've got Steve and Howard with me. Morning, Howard. Morning. How are you? Yeah, not bad. As you know, far too early for me.
1: It's not midday yet,
0: so... Apologies, mate.
1: Apologies.
2: Steve, how are you? I'm good, yeah. It's an ungodly hour. But, yeah, yeah, I'm with Howard on that one. And, yeah, sign up, everyone, because we need to eat. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to be It's it's... Once Brexit kicks in, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Cheers for that, Steve. Um, All right, boys, listen, without further ado, I want to to get straight into the opening question. Um, Steve, I'll start with you. Uh, The whole FFP UEFA thing reared its head, head again this week. Um, Cutting through all the, the bollocks and the nonsense, would you actually care if City were banned from the Champions League for a season? And how do you think it would affect the club? Damn right, I'd care. It'd affect the club a great deal. I get why City fans
2: are joking about it on Twitter and saying, you know, imagine how much better we'll be in the league, lols and all the rest of it. I get that, of course I do. But surely that's just kind of bravado and surely everyone feels the same way. We, You know, the club defines itself on Champions League. Like it or not, I know we like to kind of, you know, look towards the league and see the Champions League as a bonus. The club doesn't do that. For them, it's everything. It's where they want to be and it's how they're gonna kind of place a marker down uh, you know, in, in their kind of rise to kind of, you know, where they want to get to. It's everything. So they can't afford to have this kind of year's hiatus. Um and furthermore, it make it a lot trickier to bring in players. We risk losing players. There's just all kinds of ramifications for it. So, you know, we could have a long discussion about the the rights and wrongs of this even becoming a possibility. Um, but if it is a possibility, then it concerns me.
0: Okay. Howard?
1: Yeah, uh, what Steve said, really. I mean, I'll start off by saying, at this precise moment in time, I'm not remotely worried. Uh, I saw the headlines everyone had the same one on the same day and someone's been briefed. Someone's briefed them all. I don't know why. I don't know the reasoning for it. Is it your way for saying that just putting out that they are looking into it and being serious about this before it quietly shuffles into the background? I don't know. Uh, I find it unlikely anyway that City would be banned unless they're finding extra stuff and they're finding it away from the leaks. They'd have to, yeah, they'd have to start the investigation and find it themselves. It'll get delayed it'll be appeals blah 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 I think it's unlikely but does it affect city yeah of course it does we can't we can't pretend I mean we want we we tend to be the best team in Europe that's the aim and we can't be that if we're not in this competition and even if we're win it and not winning it for 10 years then you know at least we're in it and we have that illusion of being at the top table because obviously only one team can win it every year anyway my worry, of course. I mean, as a fan, if I didn't have it for one year, no, that wouldn't be that devastating to me. I'd get over that easy. But you do worry about how the, it affects the players. Uh, none might leave. You know, If we were banned for one year, one perhaps none of them would leave, but it does worry me what the players will think if they're losing a whole year of not playing in the Champions League. So... I say I'm not worried, but yeah, I mean, there's income reasons as well. I mean, I don't know what do we make out of it. If you get to the last, get to quarter finals or whatever, last sixteen, you're still making forty, fifty million pounds out of this. Uh, there's lots of ramifications, but my main worry is how it affects the players. Mm-hmm. And okay. do, do we really need the time off to to improve our league performances? Well, no, not at the moment. So, what where are we going to put that extra energy into the the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, uh, it's not really needed. So yeah, it's it would be entirely worrying, and let's be honest, quite embarrassing for the club, who you know are big on PR image and what and whatnot, for this to happen, and it would be, you know, very very damning about how the club's been run if they didn't. You know, I don't. I don't mind if they try to move a few numbers around. I'm sure all clubs are doing that. But if they failed and you know really messed it up, then it's quite damning on our staff and how the club's been run. The,
2: the only thing that makes okay. sense to me, the only conceivable possibility here in, in the kind of reaching the newspapers, because, like Howard said, quite clearly they were briefed, is that other clubs are putting pressure on UEFA and UEFA felt the need to kind of make some noise and just kind of stirred apart a little bit. Beyond that I can't see it going any further than this. Um it's not in UEFA's best interests, quite frankly. Um the whole kind of the speaker leaks centred around it, it wasn't just City under under attack, it was UEFA. It was the manner in which emails were exchanged, with UEFA kind of Weasley looking to save face, basically. So for them to then suddenly kind of be all kind of Um, emboldened and and moral in the the situation doesn't make sense. It's not in their best interest either. So I can only conclude that there's been some pressure put on them and they felt the need to be seen to do something and this was their something. I can't, like Howard, I can't see it going much further beyond this. Yeah, suspended some fine or
1: something. I don't know. I think
0: from... from, from the point of view of what I think will happen, I don't think anything's going to happen. I think David Kahn's piece in The Guardian was pretty yeah. pretty clear in terms of mirroring what Stefan had said in that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of noise, but there isn't really a lot concretely that UEFA can can act upon. Having said that, I completely disagree with both of you. Um a year out of the Champions League wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to Manchester City Football Club, in my opinion, particularly at the kind of size and speed at which we're growing. Um, I also think that if, I mean, again, we're talking purely in hypotheticals here, but let's say that the noise from other clubs becomes very, very loud at UEFA and UEFA feel like they have to be seen to do something to Paris and to City. Actually, think in the long run, maybe it wouldn't, wouldn't be such a bad thing for, for them to turn around and go, right, we're kicking you out of the Champions League for a year. Because ultimately, after that year's punishment, when you come back out the other end, it's. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a clean slate, but in terms of cause and effect and this whole idea of, oh well, there's got to be an asterisk put against everything that City have achieved because they obviously cheated to do it. Well, you can only really say that if we cheated and we weren't punished for it. If City get thrown out of the Champions League for a year, then all of that stuff kind of goes away because even the Der Spiegel leaks acknowledge that now City are a profitable business in their own right and that all of this stuff is related to FFP and and the years between like 2010 and 2014, something like that. So yeah, for me i don't think we'd lose players i don't think that there would be like you know i don't i mean yeah there would be like a the club would take some kind of financial hit because you won't get the champions league money but for me in the greater scheme of things it doesn't feel like uh it doesn't feel like a a catastrophic thing that could happen to the club and i certainly don't fear it i think that you know if that's the best that uefa have got we're going to kick you out of the champions league for a year yeah, I mean, I can see why the commercial people at the club would fight that tooth and nail and go to court over it, but from a supporter's point of view, I don't really think it would affect us or the club in the medium or the long term. So, Mate, yeah. I, I, I mean,
2: we've been doing these pods for a long time. I can clearly... State, I've never disagreed with you more. Honestly, it, <laughs> I, I really haven't. I couldn't. I could not disagree. I disagree with yeah. every single word you just said. It, it's the prize money would be losing. The prize money would be disastrous as regards to FFP. Um,
0: if in term- no, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. I'm sorry, but like if you're going to say something, then make sure that it's you know you you back it up with something. The prize money from the from the Champions League is what 40, 50 million pounds over the course of the season. Are you telling me that City would fail? I, no, again, I, I didn't say or, they'd
2: fail. I said it, it, it's not good for the club to lose out on that money, is it? Okay, we're but we're it's 12, not good to lose, on any, good to lose out on any commercial. Why would City want to lose out on 40 or £50 million? Pounds? That's a, you know, a decent whack of money, isn't it? So we don't want to do no, that. No, of course it is. And then in terms of, course of, course kind of their it reputation... It wouldn't bury them. Their repeti- I mean... I really don't want to be so flippant here, but you know, have you ever met a football fan, ASAP? Are they going to <laughs> yeah. say, Oh, oh yeah, you've been punished now? We'll move on and forget about yeah. it. We'll never call you cheat. What it'll do is they'll double down on that. It'll be, ha ha, this is proof that you're cheats and we'll always be known as cheats. And anything we do in the future will just be absolutely undermined by the fact that we were bound for a year and we'll be regarded as cheats. Nah, At least now we've kind of a middle it. ground where we've got something we can fight back with and say, Well, go on, then prove it. But this would be proof. This would, in, in terms of the eyes of, of idiots out there, this would be proof. And so we'd always be known as being cheats. It would be terrible if we were banned for, for a year from the Champions League in every conceivable manner and there are no upsides to it whatsoever. And also, why, why would it be that the club... We're already perceived as cheats. But they'll double down. It'll make it it'll only worsen it. You're saying that it'll
0: alleviate it. No, it won't. Football fans aren't that reasonable. I'm not really even talking about football fans. I'm talking about the kind of the the wider media and the narrative because the truth is that the first time round, the reason that the conversations about FFP went away is because we failed and we were punished. So after that, the, it didn't really rear its head again until these leaks have come out, which seem to suggest that actually... We 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 tried to do an end run around what their rules were, and immediately the media narrative is: if this is true, City need to be punished again, right? And for me, the idea that if UEFA turn around and punish City again, that's going—I don't believe that that'll make it worse. I don't think that that's going to suddenly make the reputation of the club any worse than it currently is, because as it currently is, people perceive us as a club that cheated and were never punished for it. So. I don't see how it makes it worse if we are punished for it. If anything, I think from the outside, the perception is, ha, they got what was coming to them. I don't know. I mean, you could equate
2: it to someone in your local town who you're pretty sure is a burglar. You you hear all these rumours that he's going around burgling a few flats here and there. But, you know, at that point, it's just rumours and all the rest of it. Um, And then he gets sent down for for burgling. And then for the rest of his his life, basically, living in that town, he's going to be known as the burglar.
0: All right, but we've already been punished by FFP once and failed it. So we're kind of already... I I I totally see where you're coming from, but I just don't see it as so, um, I guess... Yeah, I mean, I just it doesn't seem like a, a... something that would be catastrophic in the way that I feel that you're kind of characterizing it as something that would be super negative for the club. And yeah, of course it's negative, but we all know how we feel about financial fair play. We all know what, from our point of view, what the purpose of financial fair play was. But the truth is that at the same time, as much as we can have our feelings about FFP outside of our city bubble, most other supporters view it in a very different light. Mm, definitely. So for them to have City running an end run around the rule is much worse than City being seen to have failed it and be punished for it. So I, for me, the, the kind of the wider perception will remain a negative one if we aren't punished for it. And I'm not saying that we will be or that we deserve to be punished or anything like that. All I'm saying is that if we got a year, a year's ban from the Champions League, personally, I'd be like, yeah, I'm not really that arse. And I don't think it'd affect the club that much. I, but I respect the fact that you disagree.
2: Yeah, and, and lastly, we have to say as well, you know, the club are ready to go to war on this. Yeah. And, and you know, if I know most, most blues are aware of that, but for any blues out there who aren't aware of that, the club
1: ready to go to war on this yeah they're not going to yeah. lie I mean this is all lobbying isn't it you mm. said that the other clubs are putting pressure on yeah City are now put pressure on I just wonder what dirt they've got on their own to be honest because yeah, definitely. they could raise that point well if you if you could, if you want to make a you know make an example of us with this then we demand that you do stuff about this this and this and this because I can only imagine what other stuff is out there that's never come to light on other clubs so they're opening a real can of worms if they take on a big club. And that's the way it works, in a way. They can punish little clubs. You know, they can ban a Romanian team from the Champions League and no-one blinks an eyelid apart from in Romania. Uh, but if you start trying to ban PSG or City, then you're taking on a hell of a lot more. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm pretty damn sure UEFA don't really need that headache at any no.
0: point in their existence, so... I don't think that... I think that what's subsequently come out... about. And I, guess, I guess this is the interesting thing. Hey, so much for the opening question. I've only been five minutes, <laughs> by the way, lads. Um, I think one of the interesting things about um, uh, the subsequent leaks is if you've seen what happened in Russia and what UEFA did with the Russian clubs, then if UEFA tried to do anything to City or to, to PSG, they... I don't think they'll be able to. What because did they do to the Russian clubs then? So effectively, the Russian clubs all made up their own sponsorship deals with their own companies because yeah. they're all owned by energy companies, um, and took those to UEFA. And they basically had what they, these like they gave these presentations, right? Where they basically went, okay, look, here's the thing. We can't afford to compete with the Juventus, the Real Madrids, the Bayern Munichs of this world because in Russia football is still a developing sport. So we need to continue to invest money at this level to be able to compete in the Champions League with all of these Western European clubs. And UEFA went, yeah, you know what, you're right. We'll 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 sweep this under the carpet. So they effectively did quiet deals with all the Russian clubs to say, it's fine, you can keep funding yourselves. So, And all of this came out in the the weeks following the leaks about City and Paris Saint-Germain. But funnily enough, none of the British press really wrote about it because it's not sexy to say, actually, UEFA aren't scared of of City and, and PSG. They're scared of the fact that there's loads of clubs across their competitions who they've done shady deals with to allow them to fund themselves or the owners to fund them. So yeah. Okay. As I said,
1: yeah, you know, a lot of journalists getting into a lather over this banned next season. Uh I think if even if it got to the stage of banning the appeals and whatnot, this is this would drag on for a long time. Yeah. So. Oh definitely.
0: Yeah. Definitely. I mean I I wanna I wanna make it clear that my question, my opening question was absolutely a hypothetical. I don't think for one moment that City are going to be banned from the Champions League. Um, Certainly not over over FFP ever. Um, It was just, I was interested in what you both thought. It's clear how differently we (laughs) all think. (laughs) Right, lads, come on, we've got to push this forward. Um, So look, looking back at the week that was, two tricky games against Bournemouth and against Watford. Um, I kind of want to use the Bournemouth game to raise a non- City-related question, because um, I'd be interested to know what you both think. Um, please don't both vehemently disagree with me immediately as well, because it's going to make me look really bad. Uh, but, Steve, I'm going to start with you. Eddie Howe to Man United. Is that the right next move for them? And is he ready for a job that big? Right. Well, I will
2: start with the second part of that question. And truthfully, I don't think so. Um, I just, I can't really put it into words with Eddie. Let's let's make clear that he has performed miracles and over a sustained period of time on the South Coast. And I think he's a very good young coach. Um, Last year, I think it was last year, prior to Gareth Southgate getting the England job, um, I wrote an article for 442 where I said, Basically, 442 contacted a few people and said, who do you think should be the next England manager? And I was really strong in my opinion that it should be Eddie Howe. fully enough, I think he would actually suit an England position rather than he would Manchester United. I don't think he's quite ready yet to step up to that big kind of status of a bigger club. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that he won't get there. You could argue back, well, what more does he have to do? Um I, I just think he's got a perfect setup um, at Bournemouth and, and it works for him and, and they work for him and he works for them and it, it's great. As regards to Manchester United seeking out a manager like Eddie Howe, then I am absolutely think that is the right way for them to go. Um, I think since Ferguson, they have just kind of careered from one big-name manager to another big-name manager and, and looking for this kind of... They're so... Kind of consumed by this Galactico thinking, you know, as regards to their recruitment policy as well and bringing in the Di Maria's. And um, apparently, they're after Ozal in January. Do they need Beza Ozal? No, he is possibly the last player they need right now. Um, so, there needs to be more pragma- pragmatism at Old Trafford. There needs to be a whole complete new reassessment. We've talked on the pod before about how we need to have their kind of personnel in place. Um, between Woodward and the manager, uh, to have a director of football put in there and a a better structure uh, akin to what is at City. Um, And that ties in with what I'm saying, really. There needs to be pragmatism in the dugout, in, in the structure of the club and in their recruitment policy. And someone like Eddie Howe would be a pragmatic choice. It's just I don't believe that that should be Eddie Howe because I don't think he's quite there yet. I think he still can take his club to to you know another club and get battered 6-0. And I still think he's, he's at a club where, okay, yes, he is performing miracles, but he can oversee a four-month spell where they, they collect three points. He's, he's just not there
1: yet, I don't think.
0: Okay. Uh, Howard? Uh, that
1: was my opinion, yeah, but I am slightly warming to this situation. Uh, United have pretty much going through every type of manager and it's not working. So they went with the as soon as Alex Ferguson retired, they went with the let's get another Scottish man in uh, <laughs> who will you know we think he'll rule with an iron fist and uh, down to earth, grounded British manager didn't work. Went for Van Hal the European manager didn't work. They went for Mourinho just because we got Pep uh, track record manager. You know, knows how to win. Uh, that didn't work. So the next, the question, the big question is, what type of manager should United have to bring success back? My, you know, my first thought is someone like Pochettino. But you get an or oh, an exciting European manager. But truly, I can't give you an argument against Eddie Howe. I'd have to have worked under him to know. The big question always is. What what's he like with egos? Because he hasn't got, he probably hasn't got any at Bournemouth. Yeah. So what's he like with egos? It's always a question. Can he work with someone like Paul Pogba uh, and all? You know the martials If and I don't know. Are there that many big egos? There's Pogba, but maybe part of the deal is he goes anyway. Uh, put put Eddie Howe in at City, where I don't think there's many egos there, and I think you'd be able to work with the City group quite easily so maybe Mm. the question is not can he work with egos it's are United buying the wrong sort of players Uh, they don't have to buy players like Pogba to be successful as we've shown they don't he doesn't need to to have to deal with people like that and to be honest I think there's no reason why he couldn't do that and United need to do something totally different Mm. Uh, and for me it's always a, I mean, it's a gamble, but it's always a gamble. He's clearly tactically aware. He clearly knows how to work with what he's got. You don't know what he'll do when he's got massive funds at his disposal. But you can say that about anyone. Whoever they appoint next, you don't know. Even Pochettino's not, you know, not being able to buy eighty million pound players. So you've got the same problem with him. He's never won anything. So you know, it's just perception in a way. Uh, I said to you, I said, you know, switch it around." If we were United fans, would we be happy with that? And my initial thought is that it would be very, very unpopular. But I think you said off air that some Reds that you know, it's becoming quite a popular choice.
0: Definitely, I think the thing with I think the big thing with Eddie Howe is that he he's beginning to. I think. The context for United and for United fans is whether they like it or not, it's Guardiola and what's happening at City. And I actually think that they find themselves in a pretty interesting position where I don't think anybody expects United to challenge for the title next season, regardless of what happens with Mourinho and regardless of who they buy next summer. Because I don't think anybody really expects anybody to challenge City over the next year or two. I mean, people talk about Liverpool, but even with Liverpool, people currently are saying City are going to win the league by 10 points. It doesn't matter how well Liverpool are doing, City are just on another level. I think that affords United a little bit of time. And I think that the wise way to use that time will be to bring in somebody like Eddie Howe and go, you know what, mate? Here's a two and a half year project for want of a better word. We want you to build a better route between the youth teams and the first team. We want you to develop the young players that we've got and we'll give you a decent amount of money to spend each summer on new players. And I think that the just the, I mean, literally Eddie Howe is the antithesis of Mourinho. If Mourinho is the most unpleasant bloke, unpleasant manager in the top flight, then Eddie Howe is arguably the nicest yeah. bloke in terms of how, how he seems to interact with the media in general. But he's also a details-orientated guy. He's a guy who, you know, believes in marginal gains as a coach and, you know, is, is very, like, He's, he's, he's going to bring the kind of energy to United that I think Guardiola and Klopp <laughs> and Pochettino have brought to their clubs. Um, and I think the other thing with Eddie Howe, and I know, like, maybe this is me being really harsh. If Eddie Howe was Spanish and had done exactly the same thing with Bournemouth, I suspect he'd already have been given a bigger job. I feel as though Eddie Howe is unsexy because he's English. Because if you look at his age and you look at his profile, Klopp did exactly the same thing more or less with Mainz. Went from being a player there to being the manager there. Brought them all the way up to the top division and that bought him his job at Dortmund. Eddie Howe's done exactly the same thing, but hasn't really been given that shot yet. I just, for me feels like now's the moment for him to take a bigger job I don't think I think Bournemouth are peaking this season I don't know if how much higher than 8th ninth, 10th 7th 8th ninth, 10th they can really get on the budget that they're on I even think if you look at there's already stories that they'll lose Nathan Ake in the summer apparently there's some type of Chelsea buyback in that deal that that Chelsea are are looking to activate. I mean, it just strikes me as the moment is now. And uh, United, I suspect that what will actually happen is Pochettino will go to Madrid and Eddie Howe will go to Spurs and United will be left holding themselves for for (laughs) better. I've heard
1: heard Madrid are after Ibe as well, so... <laughs> oh, 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 big things, big
2: things, there, mate. Um, I I kind of agree with, with um, Jason, especially at the end there. Where, but I think what makes sense, at least, is for Pochettino to go to Old Trafford and for how to go to Spurs. Eh. I know it's disgusting, but that's kind of what makes sense. That's you know, um. That's, so let's hope that doesn't happen though
1: because well, as you said, yeah. Yeah, I just yeah, don't I think, think that. Sorry, how would be a, a bit holistic in a way for United, uh, the the Pellegrini after the Mancini, which is not for me. That's not me saying Mancini was a horrible person. He's obviously not <laughs> Mourinho, but I think United need they don't need this soap opera in their cl- club at the moment. And how at least would give them that. He won't be a troublemaker. Uh, the reputation would be enhanced. The and I agree with pretty much everything you said, Ace, and... The problem United have got now is that project, they should have started building that project the minute Ferguson went. Yeah. They've now Mm. wasted what, five years? Five and a half? Soon to be six years they've wasted. And now to then get someone in and say, Look, we're building we're in transition for another two years, that's then you're eight years of them not. Yeah, I think
0: they can get away with that. It's what they should
1: do. Oh no, I agree. And I think For for all the faults, I think United fans are quite patient in that respect and would appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Mm. But it takes bravery to do that. But it is the right decision. Not get someone in who's going to buy 29-year-olds to try and get instant success. They've got to get someone in who buys 22, 23-year-olds exciting players and says, in two years, we'll be back where we should be. Can I just say yeah. as well, just to kind of extend on what Howard said,
2: and I'm sure after this pod, I will be emailing Asan and desperately requesting that this bit is cut. But um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely going in then. <laughs> yeah, definitely. but I, I I completely agree with Howard. I I think United fans do deserve a lot of credit. I think the United fans I know, um, you know, to just generalise here, let's say I know kind of say 15 United fans. All of them, pretty much, were unbearable and incredibly arrogant during their glory years. They, they had an entitlement about them. They were Manchester United and all the rest of it. And now, we, you know, we're not talking a great deal of time here. It was 2013 when they last won the league, so we're looking at five years, really. In that five years, they're now watching the games this season and they're going, oh, we're crap, aren't we? Oh, we are crap, you know? And uh, But it's kind of with an almost an acceptance and acceptance can be broadened to, right, what do we need to do to get, you know, back there? And and kind of saying the same stuff that we're saying now as regards to looking to restructure the club and the patience that will be required to do that. And compare that to another fan base who also experienced a couple of decades of dominance and, you know, where 25 years, 30 years later, they still have a sense of entitlement, Not going to name him, but you know, I'm just saying that in comparison, United. Not a good forest. (laughs) (laughs) United fans do deserve some credit, I think, and I'll I'll also go as far as to say they have actually greatly surprised me. Okay,
1: well, um, Mancunian United fans, yes. Yeah. Or proper you know, that sounds wrong. Uh, match going, you yeah, know, fans.
0: Yeah. I, I think that, I think that uh, I, although I appreciate the, uh, the sudden outbreak of benevolence <laughs> towards, uh, towards the rags, I'd just like to point out that um, the reason that they suddenly look like such a lovely, patient fan base is because the vast majority of them put all of their eggs in the Jose's going to best Guardiola basket, And now that's fallen flat on its face. They don't really know where to turn, which is why there's this almost uh, paralysis, which has gone from the boardroom to the coach, to the dressing room, and is now in the stands at Old Trafford as well. They're all paralysed. Nobody knows what to do next. And the reason nobody knows what to do next is because they put so much into the idea that Mourinho was going to be the guy who was going to get the better of Guardiola. And that has gone so badly wrong now they don't really know what to do. So yes, I understand why. From the outside, it looks like oh, they're lovely and they're being dead and they're not very. I never said lovely. Can I just state I never said lovely. They're still rags and basically they're all backing Mourinho. Like for me, I find it. I think it's quite interesting. And this is the last thing on United. Because we've got to move on, but very quickly, I think it's quite interesting. A few pieces have been written this week about how Old Trafford has become becoming accepting. Mm of mediocrity and I think that is a surefire sign of not that they're accepting mediocrity it's of the acceptance that after Mourinho the unknown is so unknown that they've not got the balls to even think about that right now they'd almost rather exist in this kind of state of paralysis where nothing is happening because as soon as Mourinho goes whatever happens next they don't want to know and they're afraid of it so, yeah.
2: I, I, I think nice that, I mean, I agree with you, but I also think that they're embarrassed and they're, they're humbled. And, you know, that's a low bar to set to kind of give credits to someone for feeling embarrassed and humbled. But again, mm. I have to refer you to that other fan base who haven't felt embarrassed or
0: humbled. Or humbled. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Hey, um, we should move on. So looking at Watford and Bournemouth as a kind of collection of two games um are there signs there from a city perspective that as well as being mentally strong we're physically strong for this season's title race what i mean by that is just that i kind of looked at those two games coming in quick succession and i'll be honest maybe i didn't say it but deep down inside i kind of felt like really wouldn't surprise me if Watford finishes 1-1 or 2-2, whatever. Like It just felt like the game's coming so soon after each other in this pressure period. I kind of expected a dip, a lull, something that would kind of make me go, yeah, you know, we're, we are human. But I don't really see that. I feel as though we're, even if this is a low or this is a lull, Howard, as you put it in the review, mm. um, we're not really feeling it. Is that, a, is that another sign that we're better than, than last season? Steve, I'll start with you. I'm not sure if it's a sign that we're better than last season.
2: I do think it's a sign that we're better than any other club that's ever played in English football. Um <laughs> true. It's absolutely true. It, it's We can be deprived of our best players. We can be deprived of our most informed players or at least kind of rest them. Um, we can go to places like Watford, um, and bear in mind as well, when we're 2-0 up against Watford, their heads didn't go down. Watford kept at us, kept at us. And when they got a goal back, you know, they put pressures at the end. We withstood that pressure. Um, and we can still just accumulate points after points after points. So you do have to think, well, because, you know, as you said, a this is kind of a testing period now. What what more can be thrown at, at City and, and for them to crumble? That, that they are... Uh, this sh- isn't a word, but should be. They are uncrumbleable. <laughs> it's, it's... <laughs> That's definitely not a word. <laughs> but nothing can nothing can knock them down. It it, it's, um, it it continues to astound me um, because, as someone said on Twitter, and I think you retweeted it um, about this. This is a month now. This is a period where it's all about getting the wins. It's just about you know picking up the W's. Yeah. Never mind the kind of uh, the nature of the performance. Uh, and I completely agreed with that when I saw it. I think yeah, this to get through Christmas now. Keep racking up the wins. That's what it's all about. But I I saw people kind of be a bit critical of City in the first half against Watford. I was like, no, I think we're playing absolutely outstanding football. It's just that the manner of the finishing wasn't there just on the night. We could have been 4 5 nil up at half time. So the performances are still there too, even without our best players and our most informed players. It doesn't matter. The template is there and the players come into that template and that template is exceptional.
0: Mm. Um Howard? Howard? Yes, you still with <laughs> I was, us? I was waiting. You're not fall asleep. He's trying to spell uncrumbleable. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you when you're kind of looking at the at the rest of of this month, um, what's you kind of uh, being a man of a of a certain nervous disposition when it comes to the city? <laughs> um, what's oh, you, me? What. Yes, you. What's your feeling? Like, Obviously, we've got Chelsea tomorrow, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But just looking, because obviously we, we play Liverpool as well, and I'm going to use the word obviously a lot. Um, so obviously we play Liverpool at the end of the month as well. Um, are you nervous in the sense that actually, because it's so tight at the top, for all of the good, we could still find ourselves with just one weird result not even top of the table. Does that give you a sense of nerves or are you more the point of view that when you look at the momentum that we're building, you feel we're going to get better?
1: Yeah, I think you've got to be confused with someone else. <laughs> <about> nerves. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we could be second by the end of the weekend and that's highly plausible because we've got a tough, very tough match. Uh, obviously, a draw would be enough to keep us top. Yeah, it's everything Steve said, you know, best team, blah, 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 but we've still got one team to shake off and mm. they pick up results without seemingly playing that well. So are they just getting lucky in a way and that'll drop off or will they then click into a higher gear at some point and then we could be in trouble and we'll both be scoring nine, you know, well over 90 points. Uh, yeah, it's so t- they've got a tough run of games as well. So, I mean, we don't play... Liverpool to January the 3rd so going into that game we'll know a lot more by then uh, if they're still either very close to us or ahead of us then yeah it's it's plenty of reason to be worried of course by then after, by the time we've played Liverpool we've played I think pretty much all our tough away games uh, and we'll have played well at least Liverpool and United at home so yeah, we've got a lot of the tough games out of the way, but I think they have as well. So, yeah, of course, a pessimist like me, I look at Everton and see how well they did at Anfield before they messed it up, and think, well, they're going to be a tough game. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, and it, it's crisp- You know, the Christmas period is just brutal. So you just don't know, do you? Leicester away, you know, that could be a problem.
0: Uh, but you know. <laughs> really? I think we're a brutal team. I think well, as much as it's a brutal Christmas period, yeah. I, I think that we've sh- we're showing that we're, you know... I I, I almost feel like there's been a, a, a quiet hope around the rest of the league that at some point there'll be some kind of chink in the team's armour or something that shows some type of... um. Dip from last season. And I think the problem is that the trajectory since probably September, October of last season in the main has been upwards for this team. So it's very hard to... I imagine for the people around City, the teams around City, who are looking for something to cling on to as hope, there's nothing there. Because Bournemouth and Watford both presented different types of pressure. And City came through both of those and as Steve pointed out at the top of this question, we're doing this with key, key, key players gone. De Bruyne hasn't kicked a ball this season, more or less. Mendy, I don't even know if he's a footballer anymore. It's been so long since we've seen him play regular games. It just it speaks to how far forward I think we are in our evolution, and how for the. The rest of the chasing pack, how I think this is psychologically a really demoralizing period. I think, even for Liverpool, I feel as though City only need to win. I think if we get to the home game on the second or third of January, as you said, Howard, with the situation as it currently is, that game will finish it for Liverpool. Because I think once they fall, I don't know if, I think right now at two points behind, they're fine but I think if they drop to five somehow, yeah. I don't see them then having the, you know, the tighter games that they're going through. I'm not sure that they get over the line in those with the five point. gap. Yeah. Much as
1: I said, it's brutal, this period. Well, it is for everyone. So it's, yeah, this is not about City. I mean, just look at the way players were dropping in the United Arsenal match. Uh, players are going to drop like flies over the next month. So a lot of it depends on who drops for who uh, yeah. and a bit yeah. of luck and, you know, we're getting deployed back and that's how Peace stays fit. Uh, a lot of it'll be on, you know, how many injuries teams pick up. But as you say, City can make changes and they've had in the last week it's been a bit hairy. It's not been as comfortable as normal, but they've come through it, so yeah, that is that speaks volumes.
2: Liverpool will drop points at the weekend. I've, I've got a real strong feeling they're gonna drop points at Bournemouth. And also as you said they on about the um the desperation of from other fans to kind of find some kind of you know weakness in the city or some kind of hope. Let's let's you know say how it is. They just want some kind of hope to cling to. Um, it really both made me laugh and also kind of weirdly sympathise with our rivals with how much they exaggerated the final five minutes against Watford. Yeah. Oh look at them. Oh, they're struggling a little bit when like Aha, they're rocking. They're ro- exactly they're rocking when they're away from home. The crowd's really pumped up. It's five minutes to go with two one up, and the home side are pumping long balls one after another into the box. Oh, and they're rocking it from that. Well, so would any club ever, and yet we withstood it. But the fact that we were not absolutely imperious during those five minutes, they've exaggerated that to kind of give them some kind of hope. And you think, oh my God, that's how good we are now.
1: Yep, and if Poldie hadn't uh, handballed a, a cross in, and if Maroos
0: hadn't missed a penalty, we'd probably be out of sight already. So mm. exactly, exactly. I think also for Liverpool, um, it's a really massive blow that Joe Gomez is out for. He's got a fracture on his lower leg, apparently. Six so, weeks, the same, but it's two yeah, months essentially. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if a, low, a lower leg fracture would be I'd be very surprised if you see him before March. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that, I think that's that's a huge blow for them because I think he's been instrumental to the defensive solidity that that they've had. And I still don't think that Van Dijk and Lovren is a is a proper partnership in the way that Gomez and, and Van Dijk was looking like a proper partnership. We should also say as well, Lewis
2: Cook uh, is got a long-term injury now, hasn't he? Um, so for, yeah. for Bournemouth tomorrow. So he's been such an important player for them. Um, yeah, and yeah that is, that's an awful shame, that is, because he was making such huge strides in his career.
0: Completely agree. And I, I, I actually, when I read that, I really felt for him because yeah. he's a player who I really like, who's got a lot of talent, and who Eddie Howe managed really well in terms of... I think he came in like two years ago. I think might even have been two or three seasons ago that he signed him, and he's kind of slowly... You know, it's not thrown him in, it's slowly developed him, like he's done with a lot of young players that he signed and maybe not thrown in the side immediately. And people have gone, oh, why is he not in the team? And he's kind of developed them and improved them and bang, then they drop into the team. So, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a blow for them. Um, OK, listen, Howard, me and you've talked about this a lot, but I was definitely interested in Stee's... Uh, Opinion on the Gabby Jesus discussion, which has made its way out of our podcasts and supporters and into the mainstream media. I saw that Paul Hurst did a piece on him. I think Gab Marcotti's weighed in with something on the struggles that Jesus is having. Having so, yeah. And Steve, football uh, three six
1: five.
0: Have football? Okay, there you go. Football three six five weighed in as well. Um, wh- where are you at, Steve? Do you do you feel that everybody's just way over the top because he's only 21 or is there cause for concern there?
2: It's I, it's a confidence issue for me. I think the um, well, lad just needs to start scoring again because every other aspect of his game is fantastic. Um, his work rate, what he offers the team, his movement. Uh, personally, I believe that Sane and Sterling prefer playing up alongside him than they do Sergio. Um, and so that's a big boon. Um, And, yeah, his performances are right up there. And he keeps showing for it. And he's brave, too, for that. So, and it's a really likeable lad. And we have seen, when he first arrived, how much talent he's got. Um, Personally, I was more concerned last season when he stopped doing the things that we bought him for. You know, we we stop seeing this kind of extravagantly gifted Brazilian just kind of tearing it up and taking on players and all the rest of it. When we stop seeing that, that concerned me. But we're seeing evidence of that coming back again. Um, He is taking on players again. He is doing a few little flicks and turns here and there. What he isn't doing now is scoring. And I'm never overly concerned when a striker stops scoring because they're strikers and they start scoring again. But... I do have to say he's at that stage now where he needs to start scoring again. Not for us and not for Manchester City, but for himself, for his confidence. Mm. And there was three occasions against Watford where, you know, frankly, he should have scored, not could have scored. And he just one to go in. Um, it's it getting to that stage now where it's that old cliche of even if it's off his backside.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Um, Howard, anything that you want to anything that you want to weigh in on on the on the Gabby Jesus discussion? Or can I push no, this forward a little bit? No,
1: just one very quick point is uh, I think like like Gundogan's, when we fans assess Gundawan, they're a bit you know it's it's the quality around them that really does for them. That we're, we're not even used to a player having lulls at the moment, having dips in form... Not being right at the top of their game, so when it does happen to a player, and it has happened to him, or kind of like taking her back, and there's, you know he's not good enough, blah blah blah. I think stand by what I always said. He's he's a developing player. He'll have ups and downs like young players do. Uh, he's just not at the stage yet to be an absolute regular in the team, uh, but he's got time on his side. So, and it's all about him. I think the support system he gets in this country, you know, not being bored, not feeling isolated, having come over, you know, from Brazil. Uh, And I think that's as important to how he, you know, I think that will transmit itself to how he plays on the football pitch. But yeah, a goal always helps a striker. Just did, did, um, It just changes their whole mentality.
2: So. I I I didn't see what the video was, but I just saw kind of this, this short clip on on Twitter uh, the other week, and he was with two other players, and it was it was some kind of FIFA, you know, kind of playing some kind of game, um, and the person next to him said, you know, I- I'm going to go Real Madrid, and uh, and Jesus just kind of banged his his heart and said, I'm City, and oh, <laughs> I loved him for that. It's if you if you, <laughs> if you find that clip, find it, you'll you'll love him, yeah. and it's you know, but. Generally speaking, even I know he's got a lot of detractors right now and criticism, and and that comes from a striker who who does have a lull. Um, But I think everyone's just with him, aren't they? They just want him to just get back to where he, you know, he can be, and we know he can. We've seen it.
0: I think the question with a young player like that is always just when they're in when when the the dip in form feels as pronounced as it currently is whether the solution is to keep playing them or whether the solution is to take them out of the team for some time and almost go, you know what? Feel like there's too much pressure on you. You're only 21. Relax. Sit on the bench. You'll play again in a month. Do you know what I mean? Just kind of, it's hard to know how, what the the solution is. Um, But I have absolute faith, more than anything else, in Guardiola and Arteta to do the right thing by the player, but also to do the right thing by... By city in the uh, in the medium to long term,
1: and it, okay, he, he says the right things as well. He says the team is the most important. Whether I play or not is not. Mm. It's about the team, so that's spot on. Obviously, so.
0: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and and also. He feels like he's got the right head on his shoulders. He, I, it doesn't strike me as a kid who's going to be distracted by suddenly Real Madrid or Barcelona in the summer. Going, hey, you don't play that much at Man City. Come to come come here. You know, we'll we'll play you a lot more. That kind of vibe. I'm not sure that he'll be distracted by that in the way that maybe some other Brazilian players could potentially be. Um, okay, right. City play Chelsea. This weekend. Now, normally, we'd preview a Premier League game, but because we've talked so much and we promised that we'd keep this under an hour, we're going to stick to talking about Chelsea and City. Lads, um, are injuries beginning to take their toll on City's squad? Before we talk specifically about the Chelsea game, just in general, are the injuries going to begin to take their toll now? Howard? Oh well, yeah, as I said before, they'll take their toll on everyone. No one's going to get through this period
1: unscathed, so think I don't know what Chelsea's situation is but I think they are relatively unscathed at the moment but I think that the team selections in the last two games have not just been injuries but I think you know Pep and obviously the medical team are realizing that the players are getting fatigue and as soon as you get fatigue then an injury is always likely to follow soon after if you put them on the pitch uh, I don't know why Aguero was training, to be honest, if you know he was fatigued, but and now he's touch and go for the weekend and I don't think he'll play, to be honest. Uh obviously we're no more after the press conference today. Yeah, uh are they counting that much? Well, we're not obviously Mendy's been out for a while. it always seems to be out for a while. But we're not doing too bad. Uh again, we're just not quite ready for Chelsea but de bruyne's on you know the brink of coming back aguero we don't know but it's probably not a long it's not a long term thing or shouldn't be so we're not doing too bad in a way as i say it's more we've got the squad to rotate so mm. uh you know i'd love aguero to be in that team and i'd love de bruyne to be in that team for, so for tomorrow you know against chelsea it is a problem uh but what can you do? It's just there's no way you get through this period unscathed. So, yeah. And we, as a club, we can't really complain when you consider the depth of our squad. Mm. Um,
0: Steve, if you look at um, before we kind of talk about Chelsea, just looking at the, looking at the game from City's City's point of view, uh, how does City approach this game? I mean, it's that's a difficult question to ask because it feels like we have the same approach for every game, but. It felt like last season when we went to Stamford Bridge, there was a. That Pep had placed a lot of importance on winning there. And when we did win there, the celebrations felt huge. And I, I think in subsequent interviews, Guardiola's talked about how that win at Stamford Bridge galvanized everybody moving forward into the rest of last season. Um, do you expect a similar type of bloody minded focus from Guardiola and the players?
2: Yes, I, I guess there is a key difference in you know how much earlier it was last last uh, season. It's was September, wasn't it? And yeah. um, so that kind of sets you up for the season ahead. Where currently, you know, we're now kind of mid December and, and unbeaten. So, and also, of course, you know, with a season of smashing records under our belt too. So I guess that that's different. But that aside, yeah, absolutely. I think it will be taken in the same vein, uh, the importance of. Getting something from Stamford Bridge. Um, I know you asked me about City, but I just can't help looking at Chelsea in this regard, though. In terms of what kind of game will manifest itself this weekend, I think it's a far more important game for Chelsea than it is for City. I think if City lose and in they, Monday they're second in the league, in the great scheme of things, it's not a disaster because it's Chelsea away that you know playing imperiously good and, and all the rest of it. Uh, I think it would be horrible for us to have to endure you know, uh, Liverpool fans on Twitter. But overall, strategically, you can, you can get away with losing it at Chelsea and still win not league, quite evidently. Whereas Chelsea, sorry ball, it just immediately clicked and now it's not. And that's really odd. It's gone completely the other way to how I expected it to, to go. Um and I'm seeing Chelsea fans this week on Twitter questioning Sari and saying, do we want to get rid of him? Do we need to get rid of him? At this early stage. Um there's certain key players of theirs who have been fantastic for the last 18 months, who are now suffering big dips in form. Willian Alonso. Alonso was was superb until kind of five weeks ago, and now he's well, I've I've only seen him twice in the last recent weeks, but apparently he's consistently woeful. And then you look at their poor results in the last couple of weeks as well, with the losses to Wolves and Spurs. Chelsea need something this weekend. We don't. Mm. And how that plays out psychologically
0: favours us. Howard, do you think that there's a parallel between um, Guardiola's first season and and the kind of issues that Sari currently faces in that When Pep came in, City started the season like a house on fire and everybody said similar things to what they said about Sari in mid to late September, which is that, wow, look at how quickly he's kind of imposed his ideas on the team. And then when they had a dip, it almost felt like the players very quickly, certainly from City's point of view, weren't sure, weren't 100% behind maybe what Pep was trying to do or it just felt like everything suddenly fell apart. Is Sarri facing a similar thing?
1: Yeah, I think there's uh, huge parallels because City, Pep's debut season, City started the season well. I think they won. I don't know how many games it was. Let's say six for the sake of an argument. And yet they weren't playing brilliantly, but they were getting the results. And at the time we thought, wow, he's doing this and the team hasn't even clicked yet. Imagine what happens when the team clicks. But then the team didn't click because it, as we know, it took time for him to get his ideas across, his philosophy and then the results started mirroring the performances. And I think that's exactly what's happened with Sarri. Although the stats people in football, the ones who look at XGs and all that said that they are outperforming what they should be, uh, that they're getting results, but the stats don't... The stats suggest it will not be maintained in the long run. And that is exactly what has happened. Uh, they do give up too many chances. There's, there's holes in the on the pitch in the team. It's not quite come together. They've had a run of results, but yeah, I think there's big parallels. That's not not to say you'll then go on and emulate what uh, Guardiola does, but we always said, before the season started and we were doing previews, we said Sarri's ideas, philosophies are not something you can implement in a week or two, uh, and it will take time. And it will take transfer windows as well, because I'm guessing he needs at least three transfer windows to work out which players work for him. And you Mm. see the problems he's got. So someone like Barkley is, you know, really improved. He's got Hazard playing well, which some managers obviously get Hazard playing well. Some seem to alienate him. But then he's got a system that totally neutralises Kante, one of his best players, and he's just playing him in the wrong places. Shoot, You know, just wedging him into the team and he's too far forward and having Jorginho has just you know <coughs> caused extra problems. So yeah, he's got he's got a lot of work to do there and it's uh, I think he's reverted to the mean now with the results as it's there's plenty to do there and I I always you know I was ta- I was taken in with it. After a few weeks I thought, wow, you know, this team, when I look at it there's there's weaknesses there. They need another striker. They need a bit more at the back. They need this that. And I thought, well, if he's doing this with his team, I'm, I'm very impressed. And I, you know, I thought he was the real deal. But now I think we're seeing, we're seeing uh, a true Chelsea, and mm-hmm. it's another manager. Who, you know you have to give two years to.
2: I I, I think uh, I, so, sorry to interrupt, but I, I think um, you're you're both right. And there are parallels, but I think where that where it kind of differs. And where it's really, really odd as well is the fact that he did implement it straight away at Chelsea. Um, sorry, whereas Pep, you know, you could see, you could see the kind of uncertainty in the players' eyes at City in the first kind of, you know, uh, three months. It was like, it's like, okay, what do I need to do now? Where do I need to go? Um Pep himself said he saw Chelsea in pre-season, uh, and then of course the Community Shield. And, you know, he publicly stated that he was amazed at how quickly Sari had got them working to, to his methods.
0: Yeah, I think with I think with Chelsea, I think they have a, a a squad limitation. I think the whole Kante thing is an interesting discussion. It's not necessarily one that I'm kind of on either side of the fence right now because I think that a coach like Sari needs time and he needs time with his players individually and collectively. So I'm not going to turn around and go, well, Kante can never be... Anything other than a holding midfielder, it'll be interesting to see how he develops over the rest of the season. Um, but I do think that, like I, th- I think I think the I think the line is there very much between Pep and, and and Sarri's first seasons in charge. I think the difference, probably, in fact, I don't even know. If the, I don't even know if the squads are a difference because City squad had a lot of limitations in Pep's first season as well. We we forget Kolarov, Clichy, Sanya yeah Dabaletta, we're all still at the club um so yeah i mean I, I i i think it's i think it's funny how you know we do the narratives tend to swing between september early october where it's like oh my god Sari's brilliant yeah he's reinvented kante and oh my God, Sarri's an idiot. I can't believe that he's using Kante in the way that he's using him. And they're basically the same people in the media who kind of you know swing from one side to the other depending on on results. But I guess we all do that to a greater or lesser extent. Um, okay, looking at the game tomorrow from, from City's point of view, um, what I really want to know from both of you is... Does Jesus start, or is there an argument to say that the form of Mahrez, Sterling, and Sane means that those three should be the front three?
1: Howard, no, no, he should start. I
0: don't, I don't think
1: doing some innovative new uh, <laughs> formation. This is not the time for it for me. So, and for yeah, for all the he needs a goal, he's you know he's shooting. He of course offers everything else to the team, the work rate, and you need that in a bigger wave game. Uh, his work both in midfield and across the front line could be crucial and mm. help free up others. So I don't think we need to go yeah with Chelsea in the, a dip in form. We don't need to go for anything innovative or change too many things. Uh, just it's a sort of overthinking that you know we've discussed whether it may has caused pet problems in the Champions League. Uh, I know he's done it before and it's it's worked, but I just I'm not sure this is the time for that. So and I don't think it sends out a very good message to Jesus if he's dropped when he's the only striker available.
0: So Okay. Steve?
2: Yeah, I completely agree with all of the above, really. Um, and you know, we, we need his work rate right up front against Chelsea as well.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I think both of you aren't giving enough credit to the to the other three lads. I don't think it's a conversation about whether Jesus is, you know, good or bad or, or what he does or doesn't offer. I think that it's just my opinion. I think that you play the players in form and I think that when you look at the form of Sterling, Mares and Sané, you you have to if you play Jesus, you have to leave one of those two one of those three out. And I just play him in their positions and form. You don't play him. I I appreciate that there's a feeling that Sterling um, can't play centrally because he can't finish. Um, But I just don't agree that over 90 minutes. I I think that Sterling's uh, hit to miss ratio is good enough that over 90 minutes playing centrally, City will score goals. I don't really fear that. And I kind of look at Jesus' form and I go, well, he's not really scoring. I mean, he's not really even getting shots off, to be honest. So I kind of look at that situation as well. And I just feel like, you know, I, I, I would not surprise me in the least if Pep went with something like that, some some type of formation where rather than playing with Jesus as a nine. We play with some kind of false nine. Um, Leon away. Yeah, sorry.
1: Leon away didn't really work, did it? So. Was he not central then, Sterling? Or?
0: What for the whole game? Yeah, I'm
1: not thinking of the one game.
0: I don't. I don't think that he played. Centrally uh, at Leon away. I know. I know in the in the um, my old age catching up with this. I, I I know that in the last two or three weeks, there's been a game where he's been moved central for the last ten or fifteen minutes, and I felt that in that time he was more dangerous than Jesus when Jesus was on the pitch. Mm. Uh, and again, like I'm really loathe to because that's the thing. Like one, I'm not slagging Gabriel Jesus off, and two, I'm not saying that he's finished at City, not by any stretch. Just saying that for the game tomorrow or looking at the players who are in form and out of form, I can totally see an argument for playing Sterling through the middle and playing Mahrez one side and and, and Leroy the other. And also, I'd like to see the three of them in the same team because I think that would be a, an interesting, to have the pace of Sterling and Leroy, but then also to have the kind of the cultured left foot of Mares out on that right. It would be a... It'd be a very interesting um, interesting thing to see. Does the rest of the team pick itself,
1: Howard? Yeah, depending on who's fit, I guess. I think that's how teams are picked at the moment. They're literally, I think the medical staff are picking it as much as, uh, you know, it's about rotation. And anyone who's, I think it's called going into the red zone, isn't it? Yeah. If a player goes into the red zone, then you do not play them at all. Uh, okay. Many think that's the problem with Alexis Sanchez, that he played. A lot of his Arsenal career in the red zone and his body's just <laughs> busting away. Uh, obviously there's other problems besides that. Uh, Aguero was in it last weekend and didn't play and now he's injured. And it's about it is you know, it's it's not a fully fresh squad, it's not for anyone and I think that's even more important than tactical reasons. I mean obviously there's so many players that can do the same job anyway. It's not you're not having to shift tactics if you you're choosing one silver over another, so mm. uh, yeah, I think it goes off that as much as anything else.
0: Okay, Steve, um, left back, uh, if Zinchenko is fit, Delph or Zinchenko? Uh,
2: well, it's it's Delph, because I, well, I can't imagine Zinchenko being part of it with Broken Nose, um, you know, you he, will probably miss out, so uh, it's going to be Delph for me.
0: Okay, um, and then obviously Ferner and the two silvers, um, Walker, uh, Laporte, Stones, Edison, no arguments from either of you for one of the center offs to be changed?
2: No. Yeah, you've got to go with Laporte, <laughs> Stones. play the strongest team against Chelsea, yeah. obviously. And, and as Howard said, there are players available as well. If there is fitness concerns that we're not aware of, being kind of outside the, the loop, as it were, then, of course, that's going to come into play. But otherwise, it's, it's, it kind of does pick itself, as team. Um, apart from, you know, you, you play... Still in central, I, I wouldn't. I'd play Jesus with um. I I basically have Morris on the bench.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um. Okay, give me a score prediction, both of you. Howard. Oh. Uh, one. Uh, one two. City, obviously. Okay. Steve. Uh. Yeah. Three. One to City. Nice. I actually think that the game could well end up being a high-scoring draw. Um don't think I've predicted City to drop points this season so far, but I've just got the sneaking suspicion that away, half five Saturday evening, Chelsea at home, having had a couple of bad results, um, I expect them to turn it on. I think City will be really good, but I can see it finishing 2-2. Can I just say... Right. I missed one game of last season
1: because uh, I was at a wedding and that was Chelsea away uh, and I've got a gig tomorrow so I won't be able to see the game live probably. So for the superstitious side of me, <laughs> uh, when it, <laughs> if it ends 1-0 to City, yes, feel free to send in your thanks for, for no me problem. for winning us that game. So, who's who's will, the gig? Well, it was going to be James, but I also have tickets for Dara O'Brien for some reason, who I don't even like that much. <laughs> uh, so I've got rid of James, and I'm going to Dara O'Brien. Uh, which is not till 8 o'clock, but I still might have to be on the move and not see the, the game. Not, I know, live, not so live, anyway, so...
2: You don't really like Dara O'Brien, but you go in there instead of James? Well, I couldn't get rid of my
1: tickets. I don't know why I bought uh, them a year ago, right. so...
0: <laughs> This is this is the kind of content I live for, like. <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? And I love absolutely James. We're on the high ear, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You gave up James, who are one of my favorite bands of all time, and here you going, yeah, I could have gone to see James in Manchester and Wednesday. the Charlatans. Yeah, oh, Howard, 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 Howard. Right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm wrapping this up. Howard Hawking, thank you very much. Enjoy your gig this yeah. weekend. <laughs> Pleasure as always. I will try. <laughs> Stephen Tudor, thank you very much. Pleasure, mate. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. This was the Friday show on the 9320 podcast. We'll be back on Sunday or Monday with a review of the Chelsea game. And then over the course of the month, lots more podcasts. As we said at the top, if you've not signed up to 9320 player, go to our website, 9320.com. Sign up, £4 a month, loads of content, well worth it. Thanks for listening. Up the Blues.